0: Tilin, a Welsh word for Celtic harp. Welcome to Tilin Tales. This podcast meanders between psychology, neuroscience, folklore, and storytelling with a background harp accompaniment. I'm your host, Sophia Matson. I act as a shop, an old English word spelled S-C-O-P, but pronounced like a retail shop. A shop tells stories while playing an instrument. On Talin Tales, I can be a scientific shop and a poetic shop. Science and creativity are methods I combine to enchant those who look for more within the everyday realm we experience. You can email your episode-related stories and thoughtful comments to talintales at gmail.com. And if you enjoy my episodes, if they bring you rest, enlightenment, peace, please consider compensating me monetarily on my Patreon at patreon.com slash tolyn tales that's patreon.com slash t-e-l-y-n-t-a-l-e-s or share the link to my episode with your friends and family oh man i took a while to release this episode again it's just the holidays you know i've only released two episodes over december and now this being the second episode But again, I'm just trying to remind myself that I'm taking it easy. You know, I have a job. I'm doing other things. I'm trying to apply to grad school. These are all normal things, but I don't want to let it ruin my creative flow either. So it's important that I still stick to this. I mean, I love doing this. And if you're feeling the same way, I really recommend just making sure that you have some time this week where you spend it alone, or with a quiet friend. I say quiet friend because you kind of need to get into your own flow, your own situation, your own headspace when it comes to these things. And you have to be with somebody if you are with someone that doesn't inhibit you in any way, which for me, that's pretty much nobody. That's going to be nobody. I'm going to need no one around me. But um, it's interesting that I get to broadcast myself to people that I'm not seeing. I always loved performing in front of strangers instead of my family members because it just felt like there was less pressure of messing up. Like, my family has heard this piece played over and over again, or, you know, they've heard me for the last 12 recitals. So it feels like I have something really to impress and um there's just more pressure for me I just I don't like knowing who's listening (laughs) I like knowing after the fact so this kind of gives me that I guess and allows me to open myself up because when I'm alone I can kind of access that inner child I guess that space where I am just totally authentic to myself I have built myself up to be a person that is ready and willing to impress anyone around me. And I think I've done a pretty good job of that. (laughs) But I really lose myself in that and, um, you know, it really messed me up when I was a kid and, and people saw me play the harp and they were just waiting for me to do harp in college and to do harp for my career. And I was like confused, because sometimes the piece I was playing was something I absolutely hated. I hated playing happy-sounding pieces. That's why so many of the music underneath this podcast is kind of dark. I'm sorry about that. I tried to do a happy one my last episode for Christmas, but, um, the thing is is that I would get caught in playing these pieces for other people and playing these pieces for my family, and they were never for me. There was one piece called The Minstrel's Adieu to His Native Land, and of course there are many other pieces, but this piece was something I truly just cherished. I felt like it was written for me, and I could really get into it, got really gritty into it, got really angry into it. I felt empowered. I felt like myself. I felt like, like a little ball of like light would like start to form around me and i'd become a little bit invincible like like the star in, in super mario brothers that's how i would feel when i played this piece so when i'm alone i can finally just figure out you know on my harp for example when i'm playing when i'm really getting into the groove of it and into the flow of it and uh i just feel like that's myself and then when i record it and i i share it with somebody right away oh that's a dangerous thing i should not do that you know because people just perceive it differently and usually it's you know it's a good response but nobody lives in your own head the way that you do and i have to take myself out of all of these spaces to access this authenticity this feeling that i get for myself I never realized how important that was for me to feel that by myself. But I felt that a lot when I was a kid. Because you're allowed to be creative. You're naturally just gonna do what feels right to you, you know? And when you're an adult, you kind of lose connection to that feeling. So it's important for you to have your alone creative time. You know, I think you can be creative with other people around you, but, um... I just, I I can't, I can't do it as authentically as I would on my own. I come up with some real weird stuff on my own and I am still projecting some kind of person out into the ether with this podcast, you know, but I at least feel like I can make my weird little faces and I can, that's why I don't do a video for this podcast. I'm sorry. I just, I don't like my face when I'm thinking about things. It's weird. It's really nice to just kind of let my eyes wander around and talk. Another time that I feel close to my inner child, I guess, or just, you know, myself, is when I'm about to fall asleep. That's what we're going to talk about today. kind of dark side of falling asleep. But I think we're really going to get into the mind-body Analysis of how we view mind and body separately. I'm gonna take us on a little sleep paralysis tangent first. But back to when falling asleep feels like I am just experiencing myself. Closing my eyes to fall asleep is one of the best parts of my day. I don't need to think about all the things that may trouble me. There's no point in worrying if I can't do anything about it, you know. All I can do is sleep for the next day. It's usually a temporary relief, like a massage. And I love closing my eyes because I watch the colorful flashing lights beneath my eyelids. I remember doing this as a kid. This is probably one of the first things that got me interested in neuroscience was these flashing lights when you close your eyes because I was always fascinated that you know, you could still see when you, you know, your eyes weren't open. These lights, when you close your eyes, are called phosphenes. They're signals triggered by some pressure. So if you rub your eyes, you'll really see them, which you should not do. Do not do that. They happen naturally anyways. So just gently close your eyes and just wait for them. But I would watch them like a firework show to help me fall asleep. They naturally helped me take my mind off of whatever was troubling me in the day. The dream world is a place I would visit often. Since I was young, I've looked into controlling my dreams, gaining a sort of proprioception or bodily awareness, you know, realizing that I'm in a dream. And I think this is where my interest in psychology really got sparked up, is from dreams. I think first it was The neuroscience without knowing it was neuroscience like the flashing lights and the the control system of it all like what is really going on in there that makes me function and then finding out you know dreams and having some kind of weird control or meaning drawn from dreams i was like oh often when i practiced increasing my awareness of when i was in a dream it wasn't long before or after I would take flight in my dream, for example, I'm flying, but since I know I'm flying and I know I'm dreaming, I would wake up really soon after that. But it's incredible, you know, controlling that perspective where the first person is like the camera on the ground, and then you have the more omnipresent view from above. But then combining these two perspectives was totally godlike. I haven't done it in a while, but it's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit combined you know, you can kind of have this overall, like, scene of what's going on in your dream, but also still be experiencing it, like like you're controlling a little character from above in a video game. My dreams are my own. They're a place where I discover important things I fail to acknowledge or avoid in real life. Dreams are self-confrontational. Sometimes... They're just moving pictures that emulate an emotion, like anxiety or joy. I used to have this dream where I was rising in an all-glass elevator. And outside the elevator was just negative space. It was completely white, exuding this intense brilliance from all around like fresh snow. Except instead of snow falling in this white negative space, it was tons of cash, floating from the blank sky. And to supplement this scene, flashing rainbows appeared in a strobe-like fashion. And while this seems like a good dream, like the best club you've ever been to, this is actually a recurring nightmare for me. So in my dream, riding the elevator, my dad would hold me as I sobbed, as I was just terrified of everything around me. You know, I was forced to be confronted with these flashing rainbows and bright white light, I was not sobbing because I couldn't grab any cash. That's more like the sour cherry on top, you know? I couldn't grab any cash, but that wasn't the real problem. The problem was I was shaking with anxiety from the bright light and the strobe light of rainbows, which are these like intense switching of colors and emotions. I always felt very emotional about colors. And um, for ra- rainbows are something that it's it's not the symbolism of rainbows that gets me definitely not that. It's when primary colors are all next to each other. Something about that really irks me. Show me a pastel rainbow and I will be happier because it's a little more muted. But anyways, I remember this dream being silent, but my head felt consumed by noise. Sometimes sleep is not an escape for how I feel in the waking world. When I have nightmares, I know my anxieties have consumed me. So It's time for me to face my fear. It's time for me to wake up and think about, okay, what's really going on? I need to tackle this. Outside of an interpretive analysis, dreams are functional into the neuroscience of it all, where they occur during rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. This is when the mind is active, but the body has shut down. It's a way for the brain to create an organization system from all the knowledge and experience gained from the day and then make connections about what you already know and tie it all together and categorize it. Sleep is a strange thing because as the body shuts down, the brain stays active and in control of the body, even though you're not awake and you're not consciously controlling the body. And because the brain is actively recollecting memories that have these feelings attached to them, you experience those feelings, and you experience them like clips of movie trailers back-to-back, and then given visuals that just kind of come to mind for whatever reason attached to these emotions. Dreams often bring fears and anxieties to attention. Some people develop insomnia as a way to just avoid the dream world. The anxieties are usually successfully avoided until we're forced to stare at them in their gruesome faces in our nightmares, like giant spiders or bombs or our own decaying faces in the mirror or strobe lights in rainbows. Most are lucky enough to run, scream, or scare themselves out of these nightmares. Others, about 8% of the general population, are forced to share a room and even a bed with their demons, they experience what scientists call sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a phenomenon in which an individual finds themselves unable to move or speak upon falling into or coming out of REM sleep, dreams. It occurs in the transitional period before or after dreaming, like being stuck in an eerie hallway or elevator. And people all over the world experience it. There are historical records of something that can be identified as sleep paralysis as far back as 400 AD in Greek philosophy. Studies suggest that sleep paralysis may be associated with stress and trauma, cardiac health, an unfamiliar environment in which one sleeps, sleep disorders, drugs, and some mental health problems. And some people experience all of these things at once. On the other hand, some scientists suggest that sleep paralysis may be the cause instead of the effect of stress and trauma, and even death for some. Sleep paralysis is characterized by sensation of pressure on the chest or throat, suppression of muscle activity, and auditory and visual hallucinations. REM sleep, mixing with the transitional periods of sleep, Trigger sleep paralysis. So it's when you're in that hallway, but you didn't really close the door to your dream. Or you're in that hallway, and the door to your dream is open, but you're just like being sucked backwards. You can't reach that door. You're in that hallway. Non-rend sleep, when you're not dreaming, is dominated by the passive nervous system called the parasympathetic. It helps you relax, helps you become limp when you're asleep. So when you're not dreaming, that is the state of shutdown you are in. And when you're dreaming, REM sleep is dominated by the sympathetic nervous system, which causes higher levels of arousal than in normal wakefulness, and is in charge of fight or flight in wakefulness. So. This is how dreams feel real, because our body is acting as if it is moving or responding to what we see in our dreams. And you guys, the parasympathetic, the relaxed, and the sympathetic, the fight or flight, are not, you know, one or the other. It just means that one is more prominent than the other in that moment. So in dreams, when you're dreaming, your body's still pretty limp, but because your sympathetic nervous system is more dominant, you can still kind of flinch or have a higher heart rate, or start to talk in your sleep, right? Both the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems work at the same time. We're just shifting the balance. And in those transitional periods between REM and non-REM, the nervous system can get kind of confused. You're stuck in that hallway, the door is open, but you can't reach it or you can't escape it. And this is a really discomforting situation. Because your body is still limp from the parasympathetic nervous system. It's still relaxed. But your mind is in the fight or flight state. So your mind is awake and anxious. Sometimes turning your real eyesight on or your real hearing on while you're still in that space of paralyzed deep sleep. And being in the transition space of dreaming and non-dreaming sleep you're susceptible to dreamlike or nightmarish hallucinations. So the entire phenomenon of sleep paralysis can last up to a few minutes, but it feels like an eternity. The victim usually feels that they're in a room with a frightening presence. This is due to the fact that the person is dreaming while they're still trying to detect environmental threats in the wakeful world. The person might have auditory hallucinations like nightmarish tapping, scratching, or groaning sounds. Victims whose eyes are open during sleep paralysis might have visual hallucinations, and some scientists believe that these hallucinations are distortions of nearby objects. For example, a streetlight out the window becomes an alien's head. A black coat in the closet becomes a shadowy creature. I've experienced sleep paralysis twice in my life. And both times, I believe we're in the same year, during the summer, transitioning into 7th grade, what a horrifying time. Both times, I slept in the guest room of my childhood home, sleeping in an unfamiliar place. I was paralyzed with the idea of change. I was scared of metamorphosis from child to adolescence. Each day was strange. I didn't feel like I knew my social standing or how the whole middle school thing worked. I didn't know how my legs were standing and growing at the same time. And when I slept in the guest room, it was usually because my friend was sleeping over. The guest room faces the street outside my house, with a streetlight seen directly through the second window on the left. And as my head lays flat on the pillow... My gaze follows down my nose to the left corner of the opposing wall, to that window, and perpendicular to this window is the closet, usually left open. In the first instance of paralysis, I opened my eyes into what I perceived was wakefulness, but discovering immediately upon feeling anxious about staring into the closet and out at the streetlight that I could not move a muscle, I couldn't turn over. My eyes could not move from that corner. In front of the closet, a shadowy figure faded into view. I felt my heavy heart trying to beat itself out of its body, but realized only one thing could save me. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I mean, if God really can defeat all evil and Jesus came to save us, truly believing is all I had to do. So in my mind, I was like, Jesus, 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 just repeating Jesus' name like a charm. I drifted to sleep. And that's on the power of either the Lord, or persuasion, or whatever you think that was. But it worked at the time. (laughs) Help me calm down. I was like, well, if the logic of this makes sense, if it's logical, this will work. And you know what? It worked. So take that as a testimony, perhaps. The second time I had sleep paralysis, though, I had discovered what sleep paralysis was, so I was less afraid. I remember a brief out-of-body floating experience, and my body was still anxious with the flight or fight turned on. usually say that the opposite. I said flight or fight. Fight or flight turned on. But I was able to logically talk myself through the second experience, knowing that that heavy Evil presence I felt was fake that my body was just caught between dream and regular sleep. But just to be sure I'm I'm sure I said something like Jesus's name just a little less enthusiastically. <laughs> I drifted back to sleep. My friend had sleep paralysis in that very guest room, also perceiving an evil shadow. People tend to experience sleep paralysis in some combination of three stages. In the scenario known as the intruder, the person has visual and auditory hallucinations and the sense of an evil presence. In the scenario known as incubus, the person feels a sense of pressure and pain. A crushing sensation in the chest is primarily due to the fact that the person wakes up to feel their muscles relaxed, as they naturally are during sleep and dreaming. But you know you're kind of caught in that transition where your mind is awake but your body is physically asleep so it's heavier than you're used to and the third scenario is called unusual bodily experiences where the person has an out-of-body experience or sensation of floating much more vivid than a usual dream it's not hard to imagine that many people have interpreted their symptoms as supernatural ghostly or demonic encounters Each type of sleep paralysis reveals a different fear. First, you have the invader stage, which represents the fear of being haunted in your own home. Not only is the victim in their most private room of their home, but they're also in the most vulnerable state of sleep. And while asleep, their body is prepared to react to an invader of sorts. That's why you have your sympathetic nervous system. Most home invasions occur during the day while people are working, But people still put baseball bats under their bed as if an assassin is looking to come into their bedroom in the middle of the night. We only fear the intruder who comes when we are most helpless in our most intimate spaces. Speaking of intimacy, the bedroom has been a place for intimacy ever since we can remember. The incubus stage is named after a male form of demon that has sex with women while they sleep. But the succubus is a female version of the incubus, and that succubus sexually attacks men. While the incubus was often blamed for unwanted pregnancy, the succubus was just blamed for seducing men. A terrible sin. Whereas incubi may very well have been real human rapists, but then just blamed like that was a dream, succubi were more likely manifestations of male sexual desires. Why, Sophia? why were why were the suck? why were the suck you buy only manifestations when ink you buy are more likely to be real man rapists. Well, my friends, women were not really allowed to like roam about all the time throughout history. They might have been put at the stake. So it was a lot less likely for the woman to just appear in your bed and um for you to feel like this was a demon and to report it rather than, just to enjoy, but I digress. Celibate women, such as nuns, have been a lot more likely to encounter and report incubi than married women. And maybe that's because the one, they're afraid of of losing their virginity and, you know, defying God's commands. And two, they're sexually deprived and they might be hallucinating this. But who am I to say? Anyways. These demons are still feared today. The succubus is derived from Lilith, Adam's first wife. According to legend, Lilith would prey on pregnant women, newborns, and men while they slept. Even today, in some of Israel's maternity wards, women can be found wearing amulets to ward off her spirit. The most famous 1781 painting representing sleep paralysis is The Nightmare by Henry Fuseli. A young woman is stretched over her bed. An incubus sits on her chest and stares at the viewer of the painting, as if he's trying to draw the viewer into the nightmare. The shadow of its horns is cast on the blood-red curtain, contrasting from the woman's white dress. This plays on the idea that the demon represents a lustrous sexuality that the woman may be experiencing for the first time. But it's funny because this demon actually just looks like a tiny little gremlin. He's not like a sexy demon at all. He's a, he's a tiny little gremlin. It, it actually makes it a little scarier. I mean, what if a tiny little gremlin was trying to impregnate you in the night? Anyways, the woman's draped over her bed. Her cheeks are rosy. Her hair is soft-looking and voluminous. It looks as if she may be having some sort of dark but pleasurable twisted experience. Like she's kind of enjoying it. In the background is a horse with glowing eyes or... A nightmare, looming like a ghost and filling the room with its malevolent spirit. Aside from witches, hags, and demons, many people hallucinate a deceased family member, visiting from the grave, or shadow people like what I experienced, and even alien abductions. While a more religious person might be visited by a demon, individuals who are more secular might experience aliens. Among the Hmong people, that's H-M-O-N-G, Sleep paralysis means getting a visit from a well-known evil spirit called the Dab Sog. And the Dab Sog is imagined almost exactly like the Incubus from the painting, The Nightmare. A mass event called Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome, or SUNS, affected about 100 Hmong immigrants in America in 1977. And the Hmong attributed these mysterious deaths of otherwise healthy individuals to the Dab Sog, which tries to choke you to death. Many Hmongs believe they're more susceptible to the Dab Sog when they are not practicing their religious rituals properly, which makes sense for immigrants trying to assimilate into a new country with new customs. In respect to the case of the Suns, scientists have studied how our fears affect our well-being, As a result of immense anxiety and stress that immigrants experience, I think they experience all of the precursors to sleep paralysis, like, you know, unfamiliar place of sleeping and just overall stress and anxiety. Who knows about the drug situation, but, you know, it's hard to feel good when your whole life is anxious and you might be fleeing from trauma. But regardless, all of these things. You know, added up to this stressful immigration experience. But scientists have pointed out that simply believing in the Dab Sog may have been that extra kick of fear to cause their death. That's how strong your mind can be. That's how strong the placebo effect can be. It's dark, powerful magic. The sleep paralysis may have paralyzed their body, but the Dab Sog. Is what paralyzed their soul forever. Shopfia, I thought you wanted to tell me about the good kind of magic, and now I'm scared. Well, loyal listener of Tillin Tales, these episodes are supposed to be thought provoking to open a discussion with yourself and your peers. There's always more nuance to be riddled with. We think about mind and body as separate entities, we think of our bodies as separate entities to the world around us as if we don't interact with physical elements of living things every day, as if our emotions which are electrical charges that make us feel a very physical ache are not physical things to experience, as if feelings are not indeed factual or relevant when they embody our lived experience, and as if dreams are not real when they have the power to give and to take life taking care of your mental health is no different than taking care of your physical health. The only place where you may have one without the other is in that liminal space of purgatorial slumber, in that hallway of dreaming and non-dreaming, where you may still feel phantom sensation in your arms or legs but have no control of their movement, just drifting Forced to stare at yourself and your demon, forced to feel the pain of the fear you have run from your whole life, that crushing pressure. And if you try to run from your dreams, the insomnia will turn you numb just the same. For me, sensation is the essence that makes life magical. Sleep refines my senses, builds my strength, and sharpens my thought. This is why sleep cannot be taken for granted. To sleep, you must move your body during the day. And to move your body, you must fuel it with food and water. And if you can accomplish some of these basics with a friend, that social interaction will give you that extra little energy boost that will help you relax later to fall asleep. It's important that you use your body throughout the day so that you're not anxious about sleeping, so that you feel accomplished. And that you don't just sit in bed and wallow in your fears and anxieties. So that crushing sensation on your chest, you're asleep for that part, right? You don't want to feel that anxiety. And some people try to avoid this anxiety in their waking hours. They seek heightened sensation when life is hard and the normal goes numb. Drugs, including cannabis, might feel good and relax the body into that more parasympathetic state but they mess with the ability to properly sleep. They mess with your ability to move your body properly and to feel your state of hunger or satisfaction. Drugs are also a cheat for dreaming, taking place of them. They interfere with the functionality of dreaming though that sort of refreshes your mind. They ruin your ability to take care of yourself properly, which ruins your ability to sleep. And the drugs confuse the mind from reality, sometimes forever. After a while, you get stuck in that liminal space, that eerie corridor. I'm not saying don't do drugs at all, but if you get to the point where you cannot get a normal night's sleep, it's time for a wake-up call. If you find yourself stuck in that hallway of feeling numb and confused and scared, and you just need to keep taking the drugs to get back into that door of the dream world and your waking hours? Dude, you need a wake-up call. I find it's best to seek sensation more regularly through new foods, new friends, through challenging exercises and deep stretching, through challenging recipes, through art, that alone time that I was talking about earlier, and you'll find all of this will give you incredible dreams. Each night of proper sleep is a micro-metamorphosis, you guys. But how can you evolve when you can't conquer your own habits? How can you evolve into your best self in the wake of fear? Do not allow your reality to morph into a nightmare. You have to take the reins of that nightmare horse, and you got to steer it towards your dreams. All this goes to show that your mind is an incredibly powerful tool, and if you are not harnessing it, properly, if you are not feeding it and allowing it to rest and do its little dewey-decimal system on you while you sleep and dream, you're not going to be able to get all those powers that you have out of you. The thing about dreams is that they are manifestations. Manifestation. And you can really control these things. But you can't control them if you take drugs before bed, my friends. You're not going to be able to manifest as strongly as you would like and i'm so serious because you guys the dab sog is just a manifestation of fear you know it's just a dream but it has killed people so if you can do the opposite you can dream up the goodness in your life that is how you're going to achieve your actual dreams you can achieve anything you set your mind to even escaping your sleep paralysis demons. And now I have this image of a of a horse that starts out with, like, red eyes and is just, like, you know, trailing ash and fire behind it, and then you get into the dream world, and it's just, like, this gorgeous, like, I don't know if you're more of, like, a trail of bubbles behind the horse in the sky, or if it's still, like, this fire, but it's more like this twinkling, like, beautiful, like, triumphant spark that just, like is like a shooting star. That's what I'm that's what I'm picturing. I'm hopping through that corridor with my horse and it's changing from nightmare to dreaming. Here's a little tip for you guys. If you're dreaming, I read this a really long time ago <laughs> and I have no idea if it's actually a thing, but I just remember reading it as a child and I've used it and it's worked for me a few times. If you fall backwards in a dream that you don't want to be having, even if you're just bored of your dream and you realize you're dreaming, fall backwards and it should land you right side up into a new dream i want to know if you guys have ever tried that or if you guys have any cool dream experiences or tips to help you sleep better i mean don't hit me up with like i meditate before bed because obviously that will help you sleep better i want to know if you do something weird before bed that helps you sleep better so you can either email me or if you know me personally, you can just text me. I would love to highlight it on an episode. And a quick plug for if you're in the Chicago area and you want to see a great band live, you should go to the Montrose Saloon at 10pm on January 20th to see the Tall Grass Captains. They are a great band. I love them. I may be related to two band members. They have been practicing since before I was born and have some great music. Um, If you want to see me there, it's a $15 cover, so be ready for that. But it'll be a really great time. There are three other bands playing too, starting at like eight, I believe. So eight, and then nine, and then ten is the Tallgrass Captains. I will definitely be there. Come hang out. Thank you for listening. I really want you guys to take care of your brain do that and i love you guys (laughs) i'm sorry but it's just um i'm talking to a microphone and i'm staring at a lego bouquet and i'm saying i love you and i'm telling you to follow your dreams so you know podcasting is a strange thing (sighs) seriously though take care of yourself Bye bye